Welcome to Stories That Stick, a podcast series about the stories that shape us. To be in a place where people are all the same, I find quite difficult. Hey guys, it's Ade here, your host for Stories That Stick. And before we do introduce our special guest on today's episode, we just wanted to take the time out to say thank you guys for your continued support. And please don't hesitate to ask to be featured on our podcast because we'll truly love to have you, providing you are an individual that's positively affecting our community. Now, speaking of which, we have Gemma Caney in the house. Well, technically, she's not in the house because she's at her house whilst I'm at mine. And because we're remote recording, you guys will pick up discrepancies within the audio. And unfortunately, sometimes you might hear my voice being picked up on her end. Either way, we hope you don't mind too much because Gemma is an amazing woman who we all need to know. She's a multi-award winning broadcaster. She owns her own boutique production company called Boom Shakalaka. She's a published author of the book Open, a toolkit for how magic and messed up life can be. And just so much more, really and truly. So in this episode, we discuss some of the stories that made her the woman she is today. Stories like The Faraway Tree, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill, even interviewing Grace Jones, to name but a few. So if you are brand new to this podcast, please know that we start all our conversations talking about death because we believe it informs how we navigate through life. But if you are triggered by this topic, then please do fast forward and stop once you hear the page turning sound effect approximately three minutes after this intro. And lastly, before we do forget, please follow us on Black Ticulate across all major social media platforms. And most importantly, please subscribe to this podcast. Do share it, do leave a review because it really does help us grow. You guys are the best. Bye. Sweet. Well, 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 welcome, Gemma, Gemma Kanan. Have you actually heard any of the podcasts just out of interest? I haven't, but there's so many podcasts to listen to. Well, I guess I'm just then honoured that you would want to be featured on this one, so thank you. I just liked your vibe when we had that Zoom the other day. We were on the judging panel. We met online and I thought that what you had to say was interesting. So I thought, I've got some time on my hands. (laughs) Of course I'll do Black Ticulate. I appreciate it because often I have to go via agents, middlemen, and they'll be like, yeah, sorry, maybe another time. That you were like, ah, I'll do it. That sums up my very broad erratic career so far sometimes it goes through the middlemen and sometimes I just fancy doing it well we'll definitely get into that because that's fundamentally why you're on this platform but I often start and for those who will come to this brand new as well I often start talking about death okay how do you feel about it death my own or as a however you want to interpret it um I feel like it's really around (laughs) and the minute that you accept that, the minute you're offered some sort of freedom whilst living. Mm, Speak more on that. That really sounds, well, it sounds profound. I don't know. I've done a lot of soul searching as I've grown up and I found myself coming to a conclusion 
not that long ago, probably in the past year, where I was feeling pretty exhausted and discombobulated. And I was feeling quite sorry for myself. And I suddenly wanted to sort of put my head in ice water and sort of wake up and say to myself, last time I checked, you were still living. <laughs> so live and live wholly and live passionately and stop worrying about what people think of you or mistakes that you've made and just live. Now I hear that. So if you are thinking about death, are you hoping or aiming to have a legacy? Are you, Gemma? <laughs> um, well, that as a question is a, is a nice one. I would love to have a legacy and I have been working towards one. Well, you know what? Let's go through your first chapter, which is zero to ten. Zero to ten, Gemma. Tell me what was growing up like. Yeah, give it to us. So I was a cheeky child with a cheeky face. I've always been madly inquisitive with a really rampant imagination from really young age. What age are we talking when you say really young age that you can recall? I can probably remember from around three because three oh, wow. is when my sister was born. And I went to Bognor for the day on the coach. <laughs> and I was three, so we were little. We were really little. And we'd gone on a trip to the seaside. And I remember really distinctly the pebbles, the seascape, and feeling captivated by that. So that's my first kind of memory, I think. There is residue of others in terms of other memories, but... I try sometimes not to overthink them because I think I was sometimes in situations that probably aren't best to be remembered as well in terms of like I had quite a, a turbulent childhood in some ways, which I can't be bothered to go into all the like specifics of the details, but things that I remember are all like the positive things and how I would cope with any type of adversity from a young age was always to be super buoyant, find the positive and escape in my imagination. It's still how I am and it's always how I have been. Yeah. Was that influenced by anything your parents did? Because I do, I mean, I have done a bit of research on you and you did mention that your Jamaican father was a guitarist, but I don't know if we're talking about your biological dad here. Yeah, so my biological father was a hairdresser. I never knew him, but he travelled quite a lot. And then the dad that brought me up, also Jamaican, they're both Jamaican. And he is a guitarist, yeah, and he was in a band in the 70s called The High Flames. And I assume that was always around you as you and your sister were growing up. Yeah, him and my mum didn't stay together, but... My dad has had a massive impact on my life in terms of his proper love of music. And he's a very community-facing person. And um, my mum, though her parents were quite staunch Glaswegians, my granddad got a job that took him around the world and meant that my mum 
went to international school in Switzerland, where she learned fluent French and studied an international baccalaureate. And then she lived in Connecticut and traveled from Connecticut into New York City every day to go to high school. And then ended up in Birmingham in the 80s <laughs> under Thatcher. This is before she met either of my dads. And um, it's been a wild filmic story from my mum and I guess by proxy a bit for me. There's been so much influence and I think the ones that really resonate, the positive ones, are love of music and the arts. No, I see that, but it's really quite interesting that the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree when it comes down to your career path and what you gravitate towards. Mm. Okay, so guys, what I tend to do with all my guests is I would just ask them three questions just to prompt them for each chapter of their life. And Gemma wrote for the first chapter, the fondest story that was read or told was the Magic Faraway books. Mm. Why did this book have, at this particular period, a huge impact on your life? Oh, the magic faraway tree. See, it, it all comes back to this escapism, really, I think. Tell us about it, because most people might not know about these books. Okay, so Enid Blyton is a classic writer, I think from the 40s. I might be wrong. The Magic Faraway Tree is a particular series which is based on a group of friends that climb a tree for fun. And when they get up to the top of the tree, there's a different land every single time. There's a land where they come across an abundance of sweets. It's all about how many sweets they're tempted to eat and what happens to them if they are too gluttonous. And it's just a really fun series of stories and really quite psychedelic. So there's a character called Moonface, who's just a really fun, cute guy that has a, has a moon for a face, as you do. I've always loved silliness and humour and I quite like the ridiculous and the absurd. Amazing. Let's go into your next chapter, which will be 11 to 20. So we're now talking primary, secondary, college, and just as beginnings, or maybe even like midway through uni, right? Mm -hmm. So who was Gemma Caning then? Oh my God. I think I always thought that I knew loads. <laughs> I think I probably, I've calmed down on that, but that kind of real teenage angsty know-it-all. I was a rebel and I was, I was um, rebelling against what was around me. I was in a household where my mum really wasn't happy. She was a single parent and going through stuff and I couldn't help. And that was really hard. And then I was also in a town which I found quite constricting in terms of what I could learn and what my growth would be because it was all very white. Where were you? I was in Horsham. And looking back from the minute we moved to Horsham and 
and I went to an all girls school, my secondary school years, I was sort of told that I was bad from the beginning. And it was detrimental to my development to be told that I was a bad influence all the time when I don't really think that I was. Yeah. When it comes down to us being unfairly judged because of prejudices, we can either act in two ways. We can either shy away and try and be um, a shrinking violet or we can actually be very vocal and almost be the polar opposite if you want to call me a monster then I will be a monster kind of thing yeah I'm really worried about that as a rhetoric you know because I think that that happens a lot and I think it's really scary yeah but how did you navigate during this time a bit of both I, I mean how was I? How was I? It's really hard. Like, I don't remember all of it. What would your mum say then? My mum would say that I was a nightmare age 14. That was the year that I was really kicking back. But at the same time, I loved what I loved, like passionately. So I was excelling in drama. I was excelling in English. Um, I guess I wasn't great with authority, And that's partly because authority really was, for want of a better term, like blacklisting me. But don't get me wrong, I was no angel. It wasn't completely unwarranted. I was very articulate and looking forward to future freedom and becoming an adult because I knew that that would mean would have more autonomy to get myself out of sadder situations, you know? Speak more on that. How were you focusing on becoming an adult? Um, how say that again? How how was I focusing on growing up? Yeah, because you said you know at that time you were really thinking about becoming a full fledged adult. What's your process? What was that looking like? Were you working? Oh, I was always working. I always working. So from age fourteen, I was a telly canvasser. I worked in the bar at my local curry house, like underage. I. <laughs> I was always thinking of a scheme to make money, always. And not because I wanted to be rich, but I think it was always to, like, get out, if that makes sense. Yeah, have financial freedom. Yeah. You probably didn't call it that at a time, but you knew money would allow you not to necessarily be dependent on your mum or necessarily be underneath her roof, per se. Yeah, exactly. And I missed London, even though we'd moved years previously and I'd been a child in London. I really missed multiculturalism. I would be able to tell you that as a teenager. I knew that I needed to be around different sorts of people. I feel so of mixed heritage inside of me and always have. I love the fact that I'm Jamaican-Scottish. And that I was born in Birmingham and that my mum grew up around the world. I think yeah. it makes me me and that's always been inside of me. So to be in a place where people are all the same, I find quite difficult. Understood. So were you gravitating towards any career path? And you mentioned you're excelling in drama and whatnot. And because you're excelling, was it something you thought to do? Or- yeah. So you did actually enjoy it because there are often those who are good at stuff, but not necessarily like it. But because they're good at it, they're almost forced into it. I loved it. I was an attention seeker. I wanted the glamorous life. (laughs) I just did. 
I was really affected by pop culture at the time as well. So if you think about what we were consuming in terms of, we didn't have the internet as such then, but we did used to spend hours watching MTV and I used to get all the magazines. So I actually read about the Brit School in Bliss magazine. Ah. And it totally captivated me. I couldn't believe that this place of dreams could exist when I read this article about how you could go to college and be with singers and dancers instead of A-levels. I just thought that that was the bee's knees and I knew that I had to go. Now I hear that. And were you encouraged by your mum, your tutors? Did anyone give you almost like the head nod where it's like, yeah, Gemma, you go off and be that? Or were you doing it against all the naysayers? There was one drama teacher who really believed in me. I can't even remember her name. How bad is that? I've, blo- okay. I've blocked out like quite a lot of my teenage years. Um, apart from that, um, I mean, my mum was as supportive as she could be, but she was going through quite a lot. Mm. I did a lot of it on my own, I'll be honest. I listened to my inner self quite a lot without realising I just was very determined and knew what made me feel happy. And a lot of that was being in creativity. And the minute I'd read about the Brit School, I knew that it was time to work hard on my audition speech and to somehow find the money to get on the train. Okay, we definitely need to hear that audition speech for Ah, sure. (laughs) I ain't doing it. (laughs) It was a Shakespeare piece. It might have been Lady Macbeth. I'm not doing it. (laughs) (laughs) The question Um, is then, did you get in though? I did get in and I was the only young person on that day that had turned up to the audition on their own. And I remember that the people that were auditioning me, the teachers were like, where are your parents? Where's your person that's looking after you? (laughs) I was 16. And uh, I was like, I just came here on my own. They were like, where from? I was like, from Sussex, not that far. It's only an hour and a bit on the train. They were like, okay. (laughs) Um, That sort of says it all, really. But I was very, very happy. I was so happy to be there. I remember spotting this amazing beautiful girl in giant hooped earrings who's still one of my best friends now Claudia we both got in we're both in the same year and we're now both 35 and and killing the game yeah yeah still in the game just about killing the game not still you're killing the game killing the game brap brap yes (laughs) I'll take it um so I was very independent from a very young age and I'm really glad that I went to the Brit school yeah it sounds like it and what I also find interesting is you did admittedly say you're pretty much on your own for this decade and you had to listen to your yourself and almost self I guess adult for lack of a better term now what was getting you through this and unless I'm mistaken was the miseducation by Lauren Hill tell me more because you did write this and you did mention that these brought up really good memories Mm. The Miseducation of Lauren Hill was incredible. And I can't remember exactly when I first heard The Miseducation, but I do remember listening to it in full in my bedroom and just being so in a bubble of the story. 
it's just so well put together in yeah. terms of what she's saying. Race she talks about love, she talks about First race, level. she talks about politics, she talks about forgiveness. And you can't deny that is a serious piece of work. Speaking of which, race, politics, forgiveness and love, that is obviously something in which you've been pushing out and your book specifically open a toolkit for how magic and messed up life can be. So let's go into the third chapter in which we find you. Let's do it. This is now 20 to 30 and like plus. Yeah. Take us through, if you can, the career and what your first gig was. Oh my God. So it's been a long old road, but (laughs) my first professional is that, let's say, impressive on paper job. When I was 23, I got a job on One Extra, on BBC One Extra as Trevor Nelson's co-host. Did you apply for that role? I had done a programme called Pick Me MTV, which I did really begrudgingly because I really didn't want to do a reality TV like job search. But it was a a televised series, which was a competition to become the new MTV newsreader. And I was down to the final three. I turned up in a vintage jumper, which had been knitted with pigs all over it, (laughs) a pair of shiny American apparel leggings and my sideshow bob hair and just had some fun. Trevor Nelson was on the judging panel and he just warmed me. He always says it and it really annoys me. He's like, you're so strange. (laughs) I call him Uncle Trevor. We're a real kind of like banter-filled love for each other. Um, But yeah, we met, we bonded and then he his co-host was leaving on One Extra and One Extra hadn't been around for that long and he just rang me and said, look, you didn't get the MTV job, but do you want to come and pilot? So I did a few pilots and I got the job. And that was the beginning of so much. So the, the 10 years after that were absolutely insane, but so wonderful. For example, Whoopi Goldberg coming in the studio and just asking for hand cream in between being on air and saying that she would be my honorary grandma. And that was just lols. That was just normal and fun. I understand you're no longer obviously in one extra and under desk, but you are still, or are you not creating these spaces where you are still having fun? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, now I'm pretty specific about what I do as well I don't do things that create me misery (laughs) because it's a double-edged sword also growing up with some sort of public profile is a lot of pressure I suddenly became aware of how I looked more than ever the politics get in you know and the unfairness gets in and you realise that actually to be a woman who has never really shaped like their identity yet and is doing that publicly is really gruff. And to be judged and to be open to criticism in such a way. I remember getting emails when I first started on One Extra saying, like, you're not black enough, you don't know enough about black music you're a disgrace because you like haven't combed your hair like this is real Mm. that happened but 
When I was going into schools with kids and they say, I just want to be famous, it's like, do you know what that means and what do you want from that? Like, famous for what? Yeah. How, how do you answer that when kids say that? Because you wanted to be famous once upon a time, right? Yeah, yeah. It's true. It's true. So what do you tell those kids now that you know what you do know? That it's not the be all and end all to be adored. It's not the one. And also that, that I've never done any of this for money, but I would say to young people now that money does not buy happiness. I know rich people and not all of them are happy. No, I hear that. So do you get starstruck? Not really. Who would you say the biggest named person that you've interviewed and you're like you know I was what? probably the most apprehensive to interview Grace Jones how comes not because I was scared of her like like a lot of people think that she might be scary or aggressive or intimidating I wasn't scared of her but I just really wanted to get a really great interview and yeah. I knew that it was a really rare opportunity and that she has such a luminous character. So that was nerve-wracking. What do you think of the caricature Grace Jones that people refer to, you know, like this scary figure, this oh, that's good. otherworldly... Well, alien. It's <laughs> like I'm not of this planet. It's oh. not real, though. And did you nail it? Well, I think I, think I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won an award for the programme, so that's good. And she was so warm and generous and a beautiful soul to talk to. So it was her rather than me, but it was a really lovely experience. (laughs) It is such a pleasure to be here having dinner with you. Thank you. I'm just going to set the scene. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. I I don't usually on the job, but, you know. It looks like water to me. Uh, Yeah, Water in a wine glass. It sounds from what I'm getting is like this decade was almost you going 100 miles per hour, just immersing yourself in all the experiences. But now we're in your 30s where you've now slowing down. Yeah, I'm still like that. I still am insatiable and excitable and I love things. But it's a little bit like just realizing that that is also sometimes running away from working out like who you actually really are as well and also looking back to chapter one in terms of maybe how some things had affected me I'd never really given myself the time to think about that yeah and also my career is precarious it's not my choice as to whether I do a regular radio show on a BBC network or somebody else's the glass ceiling is real. I've had to shapeshift and innovate and try things out of my comfort zone to prove that I can do all the things that I've done. So speaking of which, because we haven't really even touched your book, have we? Uh, I know you went on a huge book tour and the truth of the matter is, do you want to speak about it? Is there anything that hasn't been discussed already that you'll be like, you know what, Blacticulate, let me give you an insight. I will one day refresh the book because I think times are moving so quickly that there is still so much that I would love to put in that book. But I think it's a very valuable resource for young people in terms of just crossing the bridge of communication. I don't think it's going to fix any situation, but I think it can open up a conversation. But what I have noticed is that 
anybody who is going through a type of struggle, let's say, or is in the more vulnerable category, the book seems to help the most. Yeah. So Gemma, I mean, God, you've done so much. I'm awed and I'm so inspired. The question, and I'm sure you get this a lot, is what are you, what's the goal here? What is that legacy? What are we hoping for here? It's a really good question because it's one that I ask myself regularly. Because I'm so heart-led. Yeah. I always find myself compelled to do things. And so far, so-ish good. And I'm very, very proud of the projects I've put out into the world. I'm very proud that I've written a book and I think it's a good book. I'm very proud that I've won awards for radio, that I've travelled the world, etc. But in terms of my legacy, I think to be an example of somebody that is heart-led and that is really genuinely open and I guess has had to dig deep to find the courage, but has been quite courageous. So you want us to see that you were unapologetically authentic, you know, heart-led and everything in which you wish. Does it matter whom or who views this? Does it matter who? Yeah. Because when will you measure that as like, yes, people are seeing what I'm hoping them to see? Because mm. you're already getting feedback, especially from your book. You said yeah, how it's attracted these individuals who you know, going through things who wouldn't necessarily read that your book has done that. So from what I'm trying to get at is you're doing it. There's always further to go, though. But it doesn't mean world domination. It means change, actual positive change in society. I think that elements of my book would be appropriate on the curriculum. But I feel uncomfortable saying that because it makes me sound really big-headed. But I can see how it helps people. And it's not the whole book, it's the sentiment behind it. The paradigm needs to shift. So obviously it would be damn cool if Michelle Obama put my book in. <laughs> I tried to get my book in, in the hands of Oprah at a party. That was quite a fun mission. Oh, really? Tell us about that. How are you going to drop such a gem? <laughs> I was at an after party of a film premiere and Oprah was there and I was trying to get to her, (laughs) to speak to her, but she was locked in deep conversation with Will I Am. Uh, (laughs) I always say that I was cock-blocked by Will I Am. (laughs) But um, she also had, you know, lots of security in a very calm way, but I really, really wanted her to see open. Okay, so you did mention this, which possibly encapsulates everything that you are. Keep your head up. Mm. Was this the song by Ben Howard? Because I did try to Google it. it. What's this reference? It's definitely not a song by Ben Howard. (laughs) So, what's this? Um, I, I was just told once by a boyfriend to remember to keep my head up. And I was like, why? What are you going on about? And he was like, you do deserve good stuff and you are good and, I don't know, just like keep your head up. Everybody deserves to live. We've all got a place, all of us. (laughs) 
Well, let me let you go, Gemma, but before you do go, what one book, apart from your own, would you gift to others and why? Oh. <sighs> um, I still feel like I'm reading a lot. I'm catching up. So it's going to have to go back to kids' books. Yeah. I'd say get stuck in with the Moomin trilogy. It's not even a trilogy, just the Moomin series. Tova Janssen, or Janssen, the Finnish writer, had a very beautiful, esoteric, mystic take on things that were steeped into these very weird, again, fantasy characters who loved nature. And came across all sorts of challenges. So let's all just read the moments. Gemma, it's been an absolute pleasure. How can we find you? And when we do, is there anything you'd like us to do? (laughs) Um, Send good vibes. Um, (laughs) So I'm on Instagram, yabbering away often um, under the name of Gem again. G-E-M-A-G-A-I-N. I'm on Twitter, Jem and Ken, half of both my names. And just look out for the various things that I love to spout about and and look further into the things that connect to you because I talk about lots of different things from radio projects to education to my love of outdoor swimming. And I will, when I'm passionate about something, really go on about it. Also, I've got a Patreon page because in these very hard times, um, I've had a lot of work cancelled. So if you like my vibe or some of the things that I've discussed, I'm using Patreon, which is a platform that people subscribe to as a place to collate my words. So I'm writing blog pieces, think pieces, interviewing people and really developing a, a safer online space, like a community, really. So if you just go to Gem's page, all the information is up there. That would be lovely. But apart from that, whatever live your life be you and don't forget to dance don't forget to dance Gemma. thanks very much for your time thank you so much and guys as always stay tuned for another episode of stories that stick bye hey guys if you enjoyed today's episode then please do share it and if you'd like to be featured on the podcast then please do get in touch.